So, uh, Glendon, what do you want to make for dinner? What do I want to make for dinner? I, I mean, we'll, I was thinking about this earlier. We'll probably do spaghetti, right? Are we going to do spaghetti again? We could, we could do the, something it's else. It's the easiest thing. Spaghetti? I like spaghetti. Yeah, so uh, listeners, visionaries, Ben, I think Glendon and I have to explain some things about yeah. our absence. Radio silence. <laughs> no episode in two months. Um, it's been that we, long? It's been that long. By the time this episode comes out. Um, Glendon and I moved in together, and ever since that happened, Chaos. Uh, we've, we've just kind of had a falling out. We don't talk <laughs> anymore. Glendon never leaves his room. Uh, I literally had a dream. He punched me in the face. That's true. Uh, it's just things things haven't been going well. So we haven't been able to record any episodes. because I don't also talk. have dreams of punching Noah in the face. <laughs> well, um, okay. Let's not true. make that into a reality. Yeah, we won't. But seriously, we just... We ended up talking in person. So then we don't record episodes anymore. So that's about it. Yeah, we've kind of realized this podcast mostly functioned as a, a means for us to like have conversations, and then we just started actually doing that, and so, whoops. It's true. So now the only time we record is if we have guests, which is the case today. We are bringing two guests onto the podcast to that's talk about... I think that's it's a record. Tr- is that a record? It might be a record. Um, today we're going to be talking about Pride Month, and just kind of what it's like to be a part of the lgbtq plus community in a christian setting now obviously glendon and i don't can't really speak from experience at all regarding this because we're both well straight white guys so it's not something like we've taught we glendon and i've actually talked about like doing an episode on this for a long time yeah like i I remember around the time the confession stuff was going on that's Mm -hmm. that's like the first time i think we were like we should do an episode on like yeah this conversation and we just didn't do it because we're two straight white dudes and to like actually organize something um would take we're, we're yeah, bad at organizing we're, really we're not good and also Better the pandemic kind the pandemic picked up pretty bad at it's that true. point too so it was kind of we're distracted and busy um but yeah so this has been like we did want to have this conversation and and um we finally decided to 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 bring on some guests that can actually it talk out, about it's it pride month. and it's pride month so it, it's a great experience so would both of you maybe want to intro yourself a little bit and tell us about yourselves we're just kind of making eyes on the zoom call being like no yeah. you go first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um how's it going everybody uh i am Anna Draper, I am, as they call, as they say in the business, a lesbian. Um, fun, fun fact, uh, I too, and I don't want to freak you out, I too have dreams about Glendon punching Noah in the face. So. Wait, what? Wait, wait what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm here to be gay on your podcast. Um, I do remember when you guys were doing the confessions uh, episode that Glendon texted me and was like, do you want to be gay on my podcast? And I was like, this is my dream. I've been waiting my whole life as a gay podcast listener to for someone to be like, hey, you have a special skill and that's 
being gay. Do you want to do it on my podcast? And the answer was yes. And then like a full year passed, like a full calendar year passed. And I'd never heard anything. And I was like, I have my gay earrings on. I'm here with my desk pride flag, which I have, Ooh. which you cannot Ooh. see because this is an audio format. Um, yeah, just I attended Ambrose University for five years. I graduated with a Bachelor of Music. There is a pandemic, so I don't do a lot of singing, but <laughs> those are all the interesting things about me that I have uh, for the moment. Cool. I guess I'm next. Um, hey, y'all. My name is Dee. I am a person who's grown up in the church, also went to Ambrose University. I went there for five years. I finished off with a Bachelor of Arts in Behavioral Science and a Bachelor of Education. So a lot to do in five years. Um, also, I'm non-binary, and this is something that's super cool. I'm super excited to be talking about it. And as a side note, I had a dream about Glendon a few nights ago. It wasn't about punching Glendon or anything, but honestly, Glendon's been on my mind lately. I kind of miss him. And and Noah, too. But oh, we, we, don't, you. we don't talk about it. We just know that we miss each other. So It's true. It's true. I'm learning so much this episode. <laughs> Mostly about people's dreams. We all dream about Glendon. Oh, yes, That's of course. Everyone probably on Earth, I'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 this is this is a little bit concerning. I don't like how many people are dreaming about Glendon. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, and first question, like you both are like publicly out, right? Kind of, sort of, or else you wouldn't be on the podcast. More or less, I guess. Um, it's it's been an interesting journey, and being somebody who's worked and 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 has attended many religious institutions throughout their whole life it's like who's that kind of safe space that i can be out to and so there are very much like certain people where i'm like hi i'm kind of gay <laughs> and other people where i'm like hi i am cis straight not white dude i think um yeah where i'm coming from like outness is such a weird hmm. concept you're never gonna run out of people who don't know that you're out mm -hmm. um so there's like i think especially as a, as a young queer person there's coming out to all of the really important people in your life and those close friends and those family members and then there's just kind of like the point to which you broadcast your your queerness into the world and sometimes that makes it very obvious to everyone who ever meets you and sometimes that leaves you with there's always people who don't know and you're like but it's not a secret you know and then sometimes there's people who know you for a year and they're like, wow, I had no idea. And I'm like, how? How did you not? How did you not? How did you not know? <laughs> Connect the dots. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think along, keeping with the vein of the whole outness thing, I've had this conversation with um, almost all of my uh, queer friends as well. And even with my own therapist as well, I was like, when I first realized that I was like, oh, I am this. And then I was like, okay, well, do I need to tell everybody else? Because that sounds like a lot of shit to do and a lot of conversations to be had and probably a lot of disappointment to also be had at the end of the day. Um, and one thing that I was told was, you know, how important is it for you to be out to kind of everybody around you? Um, does you coming out to the people that you know or people that you just meet kind of 
affect how your relationship is with them or how they perceive you. And granted, it might, it might definitely greatly affect how you're perceived by somebody or how somebody might accept you. But at the end of the day, I think that with outness, it's a lot of that, I guess that individual kind of journey. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, and who I am and whether people down the street or my neighbors or my coworkers know this part of me or not, what matters at the end of the day is that I, I, I am me. And that's that. So we're all people who went and have graduated from Ambrose, which is they they like to, I think, frame themselves as a more progressive university. But they're in a lot of ways, like still very, very conservative. And a lot of the student body is still very functionally conservative. And so I guess what was that like? How, what was that like? How did that feel? What was living in that structure? I don't know. I've asked my question. I think I think I've asked my question. I talked to a really big section there, so I'd love it if you yeah. could start us out, Anna. Fine, fine. I can. <laughs> I can. I can think of a lowball question if that would be easier. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can talk about what it was like to be gay at Ambrose. That was a great time. Um, I, I think, like my first year. I lived in residence and my roommate liked to talk. I don't think she knew I was gay and I wasn't super out at the time. Um, But she uh, liked to talk about how she thought that all gay people should go to gay conversion camps and like a lot. And so that that was like the person who slept in the bed next to me. So that was a weird vibe that really set the tone for what I expected. Um, Ambrose to be like and people from Ambrose to be like which also I've kind of like I I still follow some of the people that I lived with on my first year on residence and I'm like there's like four people here who I now know for a fact are queer but like we're not at the time when we were all first year Ambrose students out and I'm like it was like we were all there and we were all afraid and we all didn't know if it was okay to talk about it and there were very loud people who were like, oh, gays, what are those? But it's um, it's the kind of environment where you would expect that to be upheld. So I think that that is a, a perspective that people felt comfortable sharing with the people that they lived with. Uh, oh, that's fun. Yeah, I think that Ambrose was the place that I was introduced to very scary, toxic, anti-queer sort of theology and thought, and also very beautiful pro-queer theology and thought, and they were both there. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about, I mean, I, I found things that were beautiful and that were empowering. And I think I had to overcome uh, systems of, of thought and of what it is to be a person of faith that were, (laughs) Um, dehumanizing, I would say. Um, I'm going to start my, my little part off by throwing myself under the bus here. Um, so back when I first started at Ambrose, I was very much, I guess, still in denial and in the closet about my queerness. Um, so I was like, you know, I had a, had a high school girlfriend and I was like, yeah, I'm this straight dude who's in university. And over the first uh, three or so years, I got really close um, with this guy that I met on like first day of classes, and to the point where like our friendship was super great, and we'd like 
always go out for lunch and for dinner and always hang out and go to school together and like go home not like go home together but you know we 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 leave together and we like spent all of our time together essentially and like i know that one day i think on my first in my uh fourth year uh we went out for lunch one day we had started to lose contact over that third year and i was like hey man so like I think I gotta t- I gotta tell you something. I gotta l- let you know something. And then he was like, "Oh yeah, what's that?" And I was like, "Um, I met this really great girl." And then he was like, "I could just see like his eyes just drop and this like happiness I was building up kind of leave his face." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, n- nothing, nothing." I was like. I mean, don't worry, man. We'll find somebody for you. You know, we'll find a girl for you. And he was like, I'm gay. <laughs> and I was like, hold on a second. Wait. It was just that whole realization. I was like, have we like been dating for like two years? But like, I just was too in the closet to realize it. And it was a little awkward. I feel bad because we haven't talked since then. So, Elisha, if you ever hear this, I miss you. But also, um, that's just a little bit of insight into kind of my own experience when it comes to being at Ambrose and being somebody who is super closeted and super, like, I guess a lot of internalized homophobia had pushed down um, that fact that I was like, oh, you know, maybe I am not just a guy or maybe I'm not completely straight. But it was through you know, toxic anti-queer theology that I had grown up with in the church, not just having experiencing at the university that caused me to kind of push this away. And it wasn't until my final degree where I actually discovered, huh, there are actual queer affirming people as well as professors like in this university. And I didn't even realize this because I was like, under the guise of, you know, Christian university. So you would expect that some of these traditional Christian conservative values would be upheld. Um, But it wasn't until I actually came out to one of my professors, like two months before classes ended, that she like, and this is over Zoom call, like this is after class one day, I was just kind of venting a little bit. And she was like, hey, and she like uh, grabbed her Apple watch and like undid it. And then showed me that on the inside of her band, there was like a rainbow flag on the inside and I was like what and she's like yeah you know I know this is just like my little thing to always remind me you know that we are all people and we are like I want to be an ally and I want to learn how to be an ally to people in your community and so something as simple as that kind of I guess gave me a little bit of hope as I left the university uh, because to see that you know what there's a bit more than what I would think as a Christian going to this seemingly conservative university. Yeah. Yeah, no, that definitely, even from, from what I've experienced at Ambrose, it's the women in the faculty that have been very openly affirming, at least from, from in the classes I've been in people like Rita Dirks or, or Nikayla Rees, who's just been very open and, and has, have, opens up the conversations in classes to make people feel more included. And I've been surprised by how open and accepting so many different professors that I've had classes with have been at Ambrose. 
Um, and then some are disappointing, but like there's, you know, <laughs> the, the, there are, there are good people in Ambrose. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I think I've talked, I've, I've had a lot of conversations at this point with people, I guess, especially faculty who are like engaged with students. So like professors, um, community wellness sort of people. And it, it seems like there's such a, a culture of people who are like very definitely affirming but are still trying to operate in like this conservative funded structure. Yeah. That is Ambrose. And it's, it's a really weird, like hybrid life that everyone's kind of living. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like something I've been thinking a lot about recently. um, Part of which is that I go to a church, which is not technically affirming, like, in in a in a culture, the people are very delightful and positive and loving to me. And in like it's a Baptist church, and in their church bylaws, they're not allowed to do certain things because they belong to a denomination. Um, and so they're they're doing this conversation about whether or not they sh- they should become an affirming church, kind of. Anyway, so is you know they're like, what do you guys think, people who go to our church? Um, so I've been thinking about it, you know writing about it, writing sad gay poetry about it. That's what I like to do. Um, <laughs> but something that I think that we have in this um, Protestant concept of our, our religion, it's very personal. It's very, I work out my theology between myself and God. And I spend this time, you know, studying and reading and thinking about what does it mean for me silently to hold my beliefs. And when it comes to being affirming and being an ally, I think there's a there's almost a danger to that too. If you think that you can support queer people, queer people are probably gonna assume that you hate them if you are a Christian. And that is gonna be a default. And that is gonna be because we're protecting ourselves from people who very genuinely hate us. And, you know, had a Christian perspectives come at me that are, you know, God wants you to die because you're gay. And you go to a pride parade and there's the people throwing, you know, God hates all the gays. How dare you do this? Like the representation is so deeply there into the culture that a Christian space is an unsafe space for a queer person. that you can't just hold that belief that you're like, I'm a safe person silently in your head. Because people are going to assume safely and rightly that you are not. So I think that it's something that you really have to make an effort to say out loud, which mm-hmm. when talking to queer people at Ambrose, um, they say like, there were all these people who were affirming, there were all these people who were queer, and I never found them until, you know, year four, year five, I spent all that time afraid. And I spent all that time alone, because, you know, people don't want to say it out loud because it's scary because they lose power as you know queer people and as straight allies so Hmm. i think along with that something that i've also been considering lately is like what does it mean to be an ally um because even before i come out i was like you know what i feel like i'm a pretty good ally pretty good ally in my head was what the fuck does that mean I, and even right now, as a queer person, I'm still like, what does it exactly mean 
to be somebody who's queer affirming and especially in the context of the church i think that that is such a tough line to walk um and being somebody who works in a church setting who is not publicly out because if i did i'd probably lose my job if anything right but also doing my best to in some subtle ways uh be supportive of the community without completely outing myself which mind you is is quite difficult but i think when it comes to the perspective of how can um straight allies help and what can they do i think for me personally it's something that we need to be communicating effectively and that i don't think has been communicated as effectively as we can but then we can also flip that around and say well also there's some research that needs to be done by allies who want to be able to support us um and so there's there's all these different moving parts that are under the connotation of being an ally that i think is something that definitely needs to be worked on and i don't think that we're going to have the complete answers to right away Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thinking about maybe ambrose in particular what do you wish is something that they would do as an institution to either be more inclusive or be, as as you say, like a better ally um, or an ally at all to the LGBTQ community? And do you think steps are being taken in that direction? Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me, and this is something that I've seen modeled pretty pretty well with my most recent professors, is just talking about the community like not kind of making it feel like this is this taboo conversation like not treating it like a heresy i guess in many contexts i've almost felt like you know i was back in my first year reading you know heresies and how to avoid them and thinking ah yes being gay is a heresy in some way shape or form i didn't completely understand what that meant but i I digress from that so just having conversations around the community and about the community kind of normalizing it um, is one of the best ways that I think uh, there can be some improvements um, because I can like the tension, even in a zoom call that you could feel as a professor would talk about, you know, um, GSAs in schools or talking about how just ma- how normal it was to them versus having those thoughts kind of swirl around a bunch of people who don't normally think about this in an everyday context is it's like, I, want, I kind of want to break that a little bit, you know? I think something that I would love just all professors to consider is that there's statistically a queer person in your class, um, especially if it's like an intro class with more students. Um, they're, they're in there. And I've had profs who were very... Um, very cognizant of that, I think. And then I've had some that presented this very like us versus them concept of like, we are the Christians and they are the homosexuals. And, you know, they, we know that they're wrong and we should give them love. And I'm like that I'm, I'm both of those things. And this is horrible for me to sit through. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing that I just just statistically they're there and they have not made themselves known to you yet. And they might never, because you might make it very clear in the way that you teach that you are not a safe person to do that to, but know that they're there. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up like in a Christian, like I went to a Christian private school for 
I mean, my entire education. And I mean, <laughs> the amount of times that we as like young fundamentalist evangelical Christian kids were just openly talking about how wrong it is to be gay and how like defending the right of Christians to discriminate really and like openly just in class just in like conversations and doing so without even considering that there could be someone who is who's gay in that class and like it it bothers me to think about that and how how many people could have been hurt and how many people were hurt I mean I do know stories from some people who have since come out and like oftentimes we would just treat it as like a theory is like just some kind of dogma without realizing there are real people in that that this is affecting and like even even at ambrose like i mean it i mean I, I underwent deconstruction and and whatnot but even in my fourth year i remember sitting in spaces of the heart i don't know if any of you mm. took that class um, and there was a moment where we had to like write something on a piece of paper. It was like some kind of a confession or something that I don't remember if it was about Ambrose or just something you were feeling. And someone wrote that they are queer and they're afraid that everyone else in this class wouldn't be accepting of them if the class knew. And that just like, like it shook me as someone who, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm in that class. And I'm like, would they, am I the kind of person that they would think would be accepting? Am I, am I outwardly an ally or am I just sitting there even having known better at that point? Am I doing anything to actually help make this space better for people as a student? Because I mean, yes, it's on faculty and on the institution to make legitimate changes, but as students, there's still work that we can do. And I just, that, that's one of the moments that stands out to me. From, from my Ambrose experience and just like because they're probably <laughs> the sad part is they're probably right of course they're right like I would never assume in any class that I was ever in at Ambrose that everyone there would accept me as a gay person mm -hmm. I would never assume that I'd be like maybe there are some people <laughs> I'm assuming there are some people who would be on my side I'm assuming there are some people who would just be uncomfortable if the subject came up and then I'm there I'm assuming there are some people who'd be like but that's a mortal sin. <laughs> um, I just assume that spread in any Christian space that I'm in. I do like to occasionally in new Christian spaces come out like aggressively. Um, just like, I don't know. I don't want to build a relationship with someone and then like a year down the road have to get into that. I'm like, oh, no. <sighs> that's, that's emotional labor I don't want to do. <laughs> I remember like, because we had that Nikayla class together and we'd like sort of talked before then. I think like maybe in the, like I remember you being in the commuter lounge and then like meeting you in that class and you being like, by the way, I'm queer, like deal with it or whatever. Like, <laughs> okay, cool. I do that. I am. Um, one of the first things I did when I started going to this church, um, which is pastored by the inimitable Nikayla Reese, who was just mentioned. Praise um, be was <laughs> I she was like we do this like devotional for Lent and like do you want to write something for a Lent devotional and I just wrote like the saddest gayest poem and I was like <laughs> everyone in the church had the opportunity to read it and I was like there we go it's out cats out of the bag and if people 
are not okay with that. I know now, and I don't have to like build relationships with people and walk on elk shakes and be like egg egg shakes. Egg shakes. Elk walk on milkshakes. I can't do it. I can't say. <laughs> I don't have to walk on eggshells and um wonder like when am I gonna find the limit of what they don't find acceptable about who I am mm. and just be like, yeah, it's not on the table. Yeah. I think a lot about like because when I was in high school, I went a lot to this Bible camp, and it was even more conservative than the place that I'm at now. It was just bad for so many different reasons. And now that like I'm an adult and have like there are people I've reconnected with, there are people I've still connected with, and it's so in- interesting isn't the word, but like I know one of my closest friends right now is someone who like is queer, is non-binary, and I think discovered that while they were sort of like distancing themselves from the camp and they nobody from that camp will talk to them anymore like so many people have just pushed them out of their lives it's like okay you're out i we're done or if they will talk to them it's just like arguments over facebook of just like lawn ranty freaking old people dms and it's like do you have nothing better to do with your life than to like yell at these people but okay so yeah it's just there's such hostility. I don't know. It's gross. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I think one of the weirdest things that I've realized being somebody who's queer and Christian, where it's like, at, there are times where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, why do I still kind of have that faith? Like in a place where the people would actively hate me, and wish mm. that I, you know, tell me that I'm going to hell or wish that I probably wasn't alive or something. Like, like, how do you, how do we as queer Christians kind of get up in the morning and just keep, keep going? Because if I'm being honest right now, you know, the, the church has done a lot of harm and it is, it's not at a great place right now. I mean, has it really been? But that's not a conversation I want to really get into right now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> When it, when it comes to, like, being... Uh, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you know what? Do I even go up and say that I'm a Christian when I meet somebody at this point anymore? Because for fear that, like Annie mentioned earlier, you know, like, if you... Uh, you would assume that uh, if you meet a Christian that they'd probably hate gay people. Like, that is a fair assumption that a lot of queer people um, make nowadays. And because of... It's not... Sad to say, it's not even just, like, stereotyping anymore. It's very much prominence... In, in media and you know like Lennon said you know people just arguing over Facebook like the amount of times where I'm like yeah alright I guess I'm not following this person on Facebook or social mm-hmm. media anymore because I just see long ranty things about people telling each other they're going to hell and I think a friend of mine has, uh, summed it up pretty well but like I'm not going to justify my existence to somebody I've kind of learned that I exist in spite of all of these things and all of this hate that comes our way. So I'm not going to try to justify it to these people. And at the end of the day, what matters to me, even if I don't ever call myself a Christian again, is that I'm still working on spreading that love and acceptance, that same love and acceptance that Jesus preaches. And to me, it is as simple and as complicated as that.
I just wanted to say I like this simple and complicated. Mm. My follow-up question was going to be like, so what keeps you a Christian or why do you maintain the label? But I think you kind of answered that. Is this directed at me or just in general? I mean, it could, it could be general. Are you just trying to get me to answer the question? I mean, I feel like Noah just said that I kind of answered it already, yeah. so I, mean, I assume. That's fair, that's fair. That's <laughs> true, true, that's true. fair. Not too heavy. Um, I don't know. It fluctuates. <laughs> I think that there are things that I've found in, in Christianity and the scriptures and the communities that I've been in that are so beautiful, that are so empowering. I find myself so inspired by other queer Christians um, who are living as Christians, who are, are writing about being queer and loving Christ and the way that those two things make one another more beautiful and more powerful. Um, and I love that. And then there's some ugliness that makes me be like, I don't know, actually, if I want to be associated with that. There's something that I find very beautiful about the concept of Christian unity that gives me just just some spiteful glee of being like, that's right, people who think that my my body is somehow horrible. I'm like, you and I are one flesh. That's right. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> but it does go the other way and feel a little weird, you know? Like we are all one, but like you can't, you can't. I can't take away the fact that you're racist and, and bigoted and we are a part of one thing, but you can't take away the fact that you are united in one body sacredly with me and I am a lesbian. Take Checkmate, that. homophobe. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't let the homophobes win. I'm like, you can't, you can't make me leave. Spite sometimes keeps you around, you know? Oh, yes. Of course. Spite is such a great motivator. That's I'm not even being facetious. Spite is amazing. So I guess, I mean, we've talked a decent amount about, like, Amber's experiences. But we can keep talking about Amber's if we really want. I don't know. But you are also both people who are in, like, positions of church leadership right now. Which is really interesting. I don't know. Like, we can pivot that way if we want. <laughs> if you're comfortable. Maybe you're not comfortable. I don't know. Yeah, let's 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 give her. D, what do you do? What's your job? <laughs> I am currently a worship pastor at a church which will stay unnamed for fear of losing my job. Um but uh yeah, so I'm currently a worship pastor. I've been doing this for almost a year now. I started up back in September. Um and I guess a little bit of background, it's you're like run of the mill white conservative church i was like one of two people of color on staff at the church and now i'm the only one because someone decided to leave more like we didn't have money to keep them but <laughs> such as church um and so yeah it's been an interesting experience to have to be like okay we're gonna grin through the blatant homophobia that some of y'all spew on a daily basis and like it's it's been tough and 
like even for like one example i guess i could give with how tough it has been is like so so this past week i like ventured into painting my nails for the first time and like i only did like like the middle finger on each hand and i was like i love this gender euphoria it feels so good and i'm like gonna go paint all my nails after the podcast today um but like so i went into work (laughs) i was like scared like straight up scared that if somebody saw my hands i would get called out and if your boy gets called out for like being like hey you painting your nails that's kind of gay i'm gonna be like well i am motherfuckers (laughs) and like but like that like it got i was so scared to the point where like my body language for like the past few days have been to try to hide my hands as much as i could around very specific people mind you there's other people where i'm like oh yeah whatever you probably wouldn't say anything of it and other people were like as soon as they see it it's like i don't know vultures just going in like picking up the dead meat and so it's been interesting to try to navigate that being like yeah let's lead a bunch of people in worship a bunch of people that probably hate people like me or at the very least would like i don't know tell me to go to conversion therapy but so so it's been tough but i think as somebody who's in ministry and who has had to have some very tough conversations with god i've i've had some yelling sessions with god like very many um, over the past year. And I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you know what? This might be uncomfortable and it might suck like a 90% of the time, but like that 10% of the time where it doesn't suck and I'm still able to take part in this part of the church that I really love, which is worship. I've been a musician for over 10 years and I, love to make music with people i love to lead people in worship that's just my biggest passion when it comes to the church um if that 10 percent of the time i can still enjoy my craft and still enjoy it with other people and for a moment forget that this person if they ever found out this part of me would hate me if they if i can just forget that one little bit even for like a half hour worship set to me it kind of feels worth it because I grew up around this. This is what I know. This is what I love. And even if not all parts of working in ministry are glamorous, and I'm sure not even just like queer pastors would tell you this, any pastor or anybody who's ever worked in ministry would tell you that it's not always that great. You know, at the end of the day, I've kind of come to terms with, yeah, it might be worth it some of the time. And that's that. What do you do, Anna? What do I do? I uh, I currently am I'm just working as a admin assistant at my lovely church, um, which is I don't. I mean, it doesn't actually include doing ministry, which I don't think that I would feel comfortable with in any way. Um, I have led worship a couple of times. Um, specifically, I've done like special days. Actually, for the last. I've done the last two Good Fridays, and I also did a couple of, of Advent and Christmas things. I like to do special days. Love me a special day. Love me programming and <laughs> themed 
and they're kind of like, everyone lets me do weird stuff. I'm like, what if I did a very sort of chromatic spooky arrangement of Were You There? And everyone that I have heard to loved it. So there you go. <laughs> did you did you watch that service, Glendon? Or- I... I think that was one that I missed and then felt bad about it. I'll, it's, if it's online, I can dig it up. (laughs) I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is, but. (laughs) I always do this where I'll miss a service and then be like, okay, I'll watch that later. And then 10 months will go by. Um, It's, it's okay. (laughs) But I think personally, I, one, I like that you have gotten two uh, queer Christian musicians. I'm like, what a mood. (laughs) <laughs> we all do a lot of music and then we're like, oh, oh. Um though honestly, I find most worship music like really triggering for me for some reason. And so I've people have asked me many times to lead worship and I've tried to do it and I'm like, I can't. I don't like it. It feels so bad. Um but just like the concept of leadership in church is really really scary for me and really difficult for me. And I have uh, led some like prayer times. Um, I led communion at my church once. And every time it just feels so overwhelmingly terrifying to put myself into that place. Just personally, I it feels so vulnerably so vulnerable to have my spirituality on display like that or set up as an example when I feel like my spirituality is so controversial. I feel like the existence of my spirituality in a, in a, in a Christian space is like the hot button conversation that everyone I meet has an opinion on and whether or not I should be allowed to lead communion (laughs) whether or not you know that is about is like the hot button theological issue and everyone on twitter has a million things to say about it and like i that feels so vulnerable to me it's terrifying to put myself in that situation in front of the congregation and say like i'm gonna lead you and i don't know what people are gonna you know i can just be a christian on my own but the idea of being up in front of the crowd and saying, I'm going to lead you through this thing from my own perspective as my own person is just, that feels incredibly vulnerable. That feels like I'm setting myself up for everyone to come for me and say, like, you have no right or the way that you experience God is wrong or, you know, which is not to say that I don't love my church family and I don't trust them to not be shitty to me. But also there's just, it's a church. As a queer person in a church, the chances of people being shitty to you because of that are so incredibly high. But if for some reason you're listening to this, my church family, I do love you. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a whole adjacent conversation that could be had about this, but there's such a way that we as a culture are conditioned to believe that like, you can't relate to someone who's different than you, which is just so not true. Like on a fundamental level, I I just, I have this in mind. I just recently, I don't know if any of you guys have played the game Celeste. Um, It's really pretty. And there's an article about like 
from the perspective of the the person who wrote the game and talking about their trans experience and how when they started writing the game, they didn't know they were trans. But by the time they finished it, they did. And the character, as they got to understand the character more, they realized this character is, it's like, she is a trans woman in this game. And it they like didn't even make that connection fully until I guess like a final DLC had come out and huh. there's like she has like a little trans flag on her desk or something and the person writing like part of their comment was like if you feel cheated somehow by this person because a lot of the game is talking about like anxiety and um, frustration and not fitting in with the world all these different things. And it's like, if you feel cheated somehow by the fact that this character is trans, like, reflect on that. You can still relate to this person being, like, a trans woman. Like, that doesn't mean that they are somehow alien to you. Like, which, again, it's a whole different bag of worms. But I, it seems relevant somehow. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, you know, I think that that's definitely super relevant. And I don't, like, I, I don't say a lot on this, but... Um, as as a teacher, one of the things that I've come to realize, and this is something that is the same for all students across the board, every single person ever that comes into the classroom and walks out at the end of the day, and base level is everybody wants love and acceptance, and even the people that might hate us and might want to persecute us, those people still want love and acceptance, and so I think this is kind of one of my biggest saving graces when it comes to me completely turning into this super hateful and angry person, which I'm still angry a lot of the time, but this is kind of what stops me from letting that like consume me is that at the end of the day, even if I can't completely relate to this person or they can't completely relate to me, one thing that we can always relate to is that we're all looking for that love and acceptance. Yeah. Mm. I don't want to derail the conversation, but do it. Um, do it. And when you were talking about like worship music, I just I related a lot to the the triggering feeling because I was very heavily involved in worship at my old church, um, and I thought like I started going to awaken, and I'm like, man, I could probably like still enjoy this. And there there came a point for me that I just couldn't even like show up for the first twenty minutes because <laughs> I just I. I just couldn't handle listening to these songs anymore, mm-hmm. let alone the fact that, um, I mean, the the two most major churches that are creating worship music right now are blatantly homophobic. Deeply homophobic. Very shitty. And it's, I can't help but think that that has to bleed into the music. Like, I don't see how you mm-hmm. can separate the two. Um, for me, from what I've seen, um, it's not like I don't think we're in that stage of Christian music anymore where it's like 90s newsboys or like early 2000s where it was like you just had blatant homophobia in songs like <laughs> Glendon and I talked about this. We did have a conversation like, about just, how Shine is sadly homophobic. <laughs> by the newsboys. Um, and or like. Early Hawk Nelson, or like the blatant line in a song, Letters to the President. And it's like, we're not, it doesn't seem like Christian music is at that place anymore, but I feel like there's still maybe that subtle influence, especially when the two most major creators are 
those churches, which I don't even want to name. But and it becomes it becomes so insidious because they realize like we shouldn't be saying this, but we still believe this, so we're just going to like believe this and keep writing every song in existence, and then. It's, I mean, it's it's the J.K. Rowling thing. They're like, your beliefs do bleed into <laughs> the things that you write. They're just going to be there because you have this warped view of the world. Mm. And so as much as you want to separate the artist from the author, you still have to have that conversation. Of like, this is the person who wrote these things. This is what they believe. This is really shitty. Think you have to consider that. Yeah, I mean, and part of it's just like the association has come, at least in my mind, and I think in our culture, like worship music is a genre of music. Yeah, It's not like music that is about God or Christianity or giving worship. It's like its own Mm -hmm. genre with its own Mm -hmm. sort of format, musicological style, and it has its own formula and the way that it sounds. It's like, you know, it's a genre. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, it's bad because it all sounds the same. That's fine. I'm just, it's become its own genre. Um, (laughs) And so it's just, I find, I find the genre upsetting. I find it has this, um, because it grew up as something that was so antagonistic towards me, because uh, as I was growing up, this, this kind of music was used to make me feel like I was unacceptable and my feelings were unacceptable and were something to be destroyed and thrown away and i think this 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 um this thing that we get in worship music that there's like one good way to feel and it's this kind of emotional worship ecstasy where none of the actual real life problems of your life exist and that's good and everything else is bad and that was a a, a, something that I felt very deeply into that like that's my good self and everything else is like bad and I should try to destroy my life because of that and all my normal human emotions (laughs) anyway because that was just like a big part in my development when I was young it's just hard to listen to um and so now like I love and respect the worship leaders at my church um I think they do a good job and they don't play really shitty christian music and i think that they work hard i don't mind hymns hymns make me feel fine i don't they have there's a different genre so it feels different to me but still it's like you know the set's 20 minutes and i leave halfway through and i go to the bathroom and i drink water and i walk around and i go i can't be in this space this whole time it's Mm. too much emotionally for me Mm -hmm. yeah and i think speaking as a, a worship leader it's it's definitely such a hard line to walk because yeah, like, you know, looking at those two super big, you know, churches that make all the Christian music nowadays, I'm very much, I hate to say it, but I'm a basic bitch when it comes to worship music. <laughs> I play all of the stuff that's popular. I go on, like, song select, and I'm like, top 100, what do we got here? <laughs> and so I'm very, and I'm very guilty of, like, not wanting to have that conversation of what is what, what do the artists stand for and what are their beliefs? Um, and I very much am like, but it's a good song. I'm a sucker for like great drums and like some really good lead lines. But mm-hmm. it's like, to, to me, that makes me feel a little, I guess, careless, um, a little insensitive even as well to like, I guess myself, because I like, <laughs> I, ha- I harp on oceans 
all the time because it brings back horrible memories from youth camp. We're not going to talk about youth camp. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but yes, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so um, I, I've lately, I've been on this like lament train. This is mm-hmm. like the one, I guess, subgenre of worship music that I've been like, yeah, this is, this feels good. It feels good to feel shitty, if that makes sense, to mm-hmm. like, look at to use this medium of music as the way in which I'm viewing the church and the world right now. Um, I'm very much done with that whole emotional high that we get that we had growing up, like singing worship music. I'm like, shut up. I'd want to clap my hands and shout for joy. There's none of that here. I just want to like sit here and feel my emotions per se. Um, and as a worship leader, it's hard to do that because uh, we're trained to be like, okay, so this is how you design a set. And you have all these different parameters of what you can sing and what you can't. Like men, like a few times already, uh, we've sang a song at church that had like rape in it. And I'm very surprised that I didn't get any emails about it, but we did get emails about a song called Wake Up Jesus, which was interesting to say the least. And so from like, I guess my perspective, I can definitely understand that worship music can be triggering for a lot of people. I've got a lot of queer friends who are Christian or former Christians who like cannot sit and listen to worship music when it's being played because it's such like a, how can people sing about love and acceptance and then five minutes after the service is done go and you know carry a bunch of signs and tell gay people to go into hell like to me it makes no sense i don't think it makes sense to them either but they're they're kind of in denial maybe maybe it's just because i'm a type four but i feel like my emotional high is being like sad and depressed (laughs) when a song takes i'm like yes we're here excellent <laughs> but i also spent like a full week just listening to bill burnham's inside so i don't know what that says about me um, <laughs> um uh, you're also, a scorpio <laughs> um a side note for anybody who's like looking for a really great queer christian christian we, well a great we artist supports similar here yeah, we're gonna slip Semler here. That's okay. I was about to. I was literally about oh, to yeah. do. That. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, it's like fucking gay, and thank God for that. Like, Ugh. Yes. oh my! I was also gonna say as we were talking about like feeling betrayed by the um, shittiness of the Christian artists of our youth. I was like, I have to. I have to talk about Selmer's tell tell me back because like. That song. I was like, did she read my diary? As a very Christian girl who didn't know how to express her love to her high school girlfriend, I'm like, this was me. This, was, oh my god. <laughs> Summer is so good. Everyone, Summer's everyone so should good. also to it. also Julian Baker, incredible. You simply must. You simply must listen to the EP. Thank God for that. With only three tracks. All three made me cry, and I expected only one of them to, but hey-hell. The song that came to mind from Semler was the song about, like, uh, youth group. Hmm. Like youth group uh, lock-in or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that God. One, 
It's that one... it's so funny because um I follow them on on TikTok and I'm like a hundred percent sure that that song was a joke TikTok because the first one minute is so funny. <laughs> And then, and then they're like, what if I wrote this into a full song for my album? And then they did. And I was like, wow, it like got deeper and it, but it's so funny. It's so, it's so good. Mm -hmm. It's so what my childhood was. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jesus is a ghost hiding in the church. And if you just stay long enough, you'll find him is such a clutch line. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, I respect Semler's hustle so much to be like, hey, queer people exist, we are here, um, and let's take this album and just shoot it to the tops of CCM. Let's just make this make this a, a CCM <laughs> album. This this vocally vocally queer Christian album. Let's let's give this as much broadcast as we possibly physically can thank thank god for that um also was i think began as a tiktok joke and then spun out into a real a real piece because um yeah so grayson baldrich got all these reviews on their original album that this couldn't be a real christian album because it didn't have any songs of praise and they said, I'll write a song of praise for you. We're going to thank God, baby. <laughs> Just this is this is how I treat the criticism that this is not what a Christian album is, because this is what a Christian album is. And this is mm-hmm. what a Christian experience is. But I'm like, oh, delicious. Truly. Mm. And I mean, one of you were talking about like, the importance of just normalizing like queer theology say at Ambrose and like I think this is like the same sort of thing for like the Christian music scene like these are normal experiences and they should be treated as normal experiences um but the church so often hasn't done that which is shitty one thing that I find very interesting about similar in general um you know, before she wrote this album, she created a uh, kind of documentary series called States of Grace, I believe, um, which is very cool. And I watched some of and I listened to some interviews with her. And she talked about like growing up in a Christian bubble that was like very queer positive and having these like her, her church or family And then not really realizing that there was going to be all this like hate and backlash until she went to get married and her very best friend in the world refused to stand up with her in her wedding because she like couldn't condone this relationship like at like after she has gotten engaged. And she was like, what? I didn't think that this was my life. Like for one thing, that would be so jarring and and horrible. But for the other thing, I think that there's this audacity that she has as a queer person who grew up in the church accepted and then throughout was thrown out into the world where she's like no this is this is who I am I have this strength in my identity that I don't know if I as a queer person um have that strength in my identity to be like come at me I can take it I don't know (laughs) if I can take it I'm very squishy emotionally (laughs) 
<laughs> but it gives me this hope for the youths that if we, mm. you know, build them up, that they'll be able to do things that we're not ready to do. That's my dream. a lot of the conservative church is not prepared for Gen X. <laughs> Absolutely not. It is, it is going to be something. This this might be a hard question. And if you don't want to answer it, that's A-OK. But I think it maybe might be helpful to illustrate for some of our listeners. I don't know who's going to be listening to this. Um, but like, what would you say is the worst experience you've had in a Christian space. <laughs> if you're comfortable answering that, because it, it might be hard. And on the on the balance side, maybe you could also say, like, what's your best experience in a Christian space? But let's start with the worst. Savage. Or a, a bad one, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Out of the many that we yeah. experience. Your top five worst Christian moments. Go. <laughs> Just like Number three truly, will shock you. Truly the worst, like, BuzzFeed listicle. <laughs> I needed the clickbaity title. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, well, I said I wasn't going to talk about youth camp, but I guess I have to talk about youth camp. You've got to talk about youth camp. <laughs> It was foreshadowing. All right. So, I mean, you know, there's like the stereotypes of youth camp. And like in my journey of like deconstruction, I've learned how shitty youth camp actually was and how manipulative and environments it really was. And like, you know, at times where I'm like, can I fault my camp leaders and like my youth pastors? But it's like, maybe they don't know better and they're also kind of like in this whole youth camp is this big transformative experience and but regardless of whether that's the case or not youth camp's shitty to start things off and so i remember this one summer youth camp i was at it was like a weekend long youth camp that the church that i used to go to did every summer um and so every Saturday night that we were there, the last night that we were there, everybody knew what was coming. You know, it was that whole, all right, y'all, we're going to stay up until fucking 2 a.m. listening to worship music and crying. It's essentially what it was. Um, and we would like break. We we'd like start out all together. We would they'd be like, all right, so let's go ahead and sanctify this room. And so like the emotional worship music would start playing, and they're like, go around, touch the walls, start praying for the walls. And I was like, cool, because I was very much like, yes, this is this is what we do. This is worship, you know. And so we did that, and so this went on for like an hour. And then we're like, okay, let's get all pumpy and start jumping around. And when the, the pumpy worship music started going and we were just like, woo, this is great. I'm totally not dehydrated and tired from camp games all day. Um, and then, you know, it hit like midnight and we we're like, okay, we're getting pretty tired. And then it's like, all right, let's break out into groups and start confessing things to each other. It wasn't like 
you know, uh, literally said like that. That was essentially what it was. It was like, sit down in a group of five people and tell them one thing, you know, confess one thing to them and we'll pray, pray about it. And I was like, great. This is where I can bring up that whole thing where I think I'm gay. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a good time because like as soon as it happened, like the people were like calling the youth leaders over and they're like, we got to pray over this right now. There's a demon in you. And I was like, okay, great. I guess there's a demon in me. That's cool. And we had like a good old half hour lay hands on me, force me to the ground and exercise me. And, but you know, that whole time I'm pretty sure I was having a panic attack. Because I got anxiety, and it was, like, skyrocketing, and I was tired. I was thirsty. I was not able to get up. I was, like, literally held down, and it was not fun. And so, eventually, you know, I, like, kind of gave in (laughs) to it. And then I, like, when I, like, when they started to, like, calm down and the prayers were, like, fading out, then I was, like, I feel good. I feel great. I feel freed. I was, like, get me the fuck out of here right now please just horrible not fun at all and like by the end of it they're like you've been freed this is a victory and then they were like all right let's start jumping and praising the lord again put on some more jumpy music it's like 2 a.m at this point and we're like okay great and then like one final prayer and they're like all right go to sleep you're up at nine o'clock tomorrow for breakfast and i was like so yeah that was a shitty christian moment (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) something about i don't know i mean obviously as a queer person but there's something about being queer and um mentally ill and um having had chronic pain that people are really into thinking that they need to pray things out of you or that you're full of demons um and that's bad every time it's bad every time and yeah i've gotten to a point where i never want anyone to pray for me ever i'm like don't do it it's bad it's not Mm -hmm. a good fun thing that feels good to me like (laughs) and i don't have demons in me leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so <laughs> I took a sociology class at Ambrose University. <laughs> oh boy! Oh no! And our 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 professor um, was very into talking about. I mean, I mentioned before this sort of very we are the Christians and they are the homosexuals. Um, he had this worldview that the the homosexuals. Uh, were uh, influencing the government and they were like imposing this thing on the Christians and the Christians were oppressed by not what being the able. Fuck, Peter Dole. <laughs> um, oh, what are we name dropping? Oh, um, <laughs> Peter Dole is no. a man. I have no problem name dropping him. Yeah, no. Let him be fired. I don't care. <laughs> I don't think he works there anymore. Um, I would say that three different times uh, during this class, he mentioned that um, uh, gay marriage being legal was unconstitutional because they had to consult the the provinces. And I'm like, no, that's not how the Constitution of Canada works. (laughs) Um, 
But he's like, we have the right as Christians to say how we feel about this. We Christians all uniformly feel that this should not be allowed, gay people getting married, and we have the right to stand up for that. And I think he brought that up like three different times over the semester for no reason. Um, And it came to the point where it was a class discussion. And so I said, like, hi, I am both a Christian and a homosexual. And I would appreciate if you could not set up this dichotomy where they are against us and we are against them. And they're trying to force us to stop exerting our, our Christianity because like, that's not a true dichotomy to which he was like, Oh my God, (laughs) very (laughs) shocked. Um, Um, So then that bounced around the room for a while, and it was tense. Um, And then another student um, said that uh, we should not be allowed to trust gays in Christian spaces. Gays should not be allowed because they do these horrible, violent acts to turn other people into, um, into gay people. And... I was like, vampires? I didn't realize this. (laughs) Well, no, it's like some people think that you become gay by another gay person sexually assaulting you. Oh, frick. What? And that that was something that I do as a homosexual person, and that's also how I became a homosexual person. Um, Mm. To which our professor did not defend me. He simply said, wow, uh, we have some different ideas, and let's move on. (laughs) And you, I, I fully cried. (laughs) I shook. I left the, I think he actually ended class early because it was just the vibe in the room was so horrible. And I left the room and I cried in the bathroom until it was time for our Pentateuch class. At which point I entered our Pentateuch class and was like, I'm having the worst day. (laughs) It was 8.30 in the morning. Like it was... (sighs) Mm. it was fully a horrible experience um yeah so that happened i'm sorry (laughs) god both those experiences are just horrible you're welcome you did ask for it yes you did want these you did quite literally ask for it (laughs) anyway i did i did end up like i talked to other other profs i guess profs in the in the sociology department as this person was a guest lecturer but not a guest lecturer a sessional lecturer anyway whatever um and like student services and i think he ended up having to talk to student services about not doing that good and apologize to me kind of which i appreciated i guess And then we were on Zoom, and I just uh, didn't have to see him again. So there you go. Yeah, I, there's. We've kind of talked around this a little bit. There's such a like a, a guise of security where people think they're able to go and just spout bullshit, and that that's just fine, and that they can get away with it. And I think a lot of what this conversation has been about. It's been about a lot of things, but part of it is like we, everyone, um, especially allies, um, need to stand up and say, hey, don't 
be shitty, please. Like, especially if these are people in power, like, don't be shitty. This is not your right to be shitty to people. Please stop. Um, or we'll bring student services in or whatever. Like, Go and threaten your local street preacher and tell them that student <laughs> services is coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, they're coming <laughs> I don't know I think about that like James you talked about camp and in like a week less than a week now I freaking go to a bible camp um, and I have to speak for a week to the staff and I'm like how this is a constant conversation for me it's like how because I know this camp has LGBTQ kids has Gen Z staff who identify as LGBTQ um and there's just there's no um statement or anything no stance official stance but like you know how the camp stands and i'm like i it's it's sucky because they deserve so much better than that and yeah i don't know that's a constant conversation for me at least it's like how do i advocate for these people in this structure that so easily become shitty and toxic and abusive in so many different ways. Yeah, that's a that's a toughie. Um, <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I very much an understatement. And honestly, my first instinct was to say pray. Then I was like, wait, D, that's fucking bullshit. Don't tell somebody <laughs> to pray. Like, what the fuck? No, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna tell anybody to just be like ah yes go and pray for the gays that's exactly what they need it's like no like (laughs) that is one of the stupidest things you could say especially (laughs) it's It's funny because i just said as a queer person don't pray for me (laughs) yeah Yeah. like i don't like we don't really need your fucking prayer we need you to like stand with us and be able to tell us that we're accepted um like i've worked in like many uh religious institutions and like both churches and schools and kind of like looking at and connecting with people afterwards after they've left these institutions and being like oh you're queer now too great like my goodness the amount of people that i've like gotten back in contact with that are like yeah i am this now and i'm like huh you were very different in high school and so (laughs) Like, one of the things that I realized, like, as a professional, and I think all of us in our own professional lives, um, mm. when it comes to to being an ally, especially if you're in that tough situation like you are, Glendon, where you're at a camp where you know the stance that the camp is on, but you also know that you want to be able to advocate for these people um, because they deserve to not be discriminated against. Nobody deserves to be discriminated against, um, especially just for kind of being who they are. Um, best thing, at least in my perspective that I've tried to do is to identify, I guess, first of all, kind of like identify like who these people are and kind of get, get close to them, make effective and intentional relationships Mm, with these mm. people. Um, one of the first things that you're required to do as a teacher in Alberta is to like focus on effective relationships. And I think that as soon as you can start getting those relationships formed with people, you're going to better understand how to be a better ally with them. Um, And like with a lot of things, it's possible that being an ally to different people in the LGBTQ plus community, it might be subjective, right? Mm -hmm. There are some people who are like, advocate for me, go and stand up to that bigot 
that's in power or to simple as, hey, I just want a safe space where I can hang out and feel like I can be myself, right? But you won't really know what to do until you start to make these relationships. I mean, I think it is tough, like, especially with this kind of like church camp environment, this like people are sending their kids. Um, I, I think there's something so important about those people who are in these spaces where these, these kids of this, this conservative Christian movement go and their parents would not send them to an abundantly affirming (laughs) church camp or school or space. Like they're never going to go to those spaces because they don't control their own lives. But Mm. Being a person who can say there are queer affirming theologies, like that's like, it's like food for the starving in a desert. Like if you can be that person in that place where it's not like that was so beautifully, critically important for me Um, the first time. And it would be if you want beautiful stories in Christian spaces, (laughs) Um, it would be like it was coming out to... um, one of my professors, again, never going to stop name dropping her, the inimitable Nikkei Reese, friend of the podcast. You had her on the podcast, right? I listened to that. Yep. I didn't dream it. Yeah. We, we did. We had talked about getting her on for this Wait. episode, but I think the schedule just did not work out. Like, I remember um, going out for coffee while I was in her intro to the Bible class and coming out to her and just having, like, just it was a life-changing experience to have her say Mm -hmm. like I think that that is beautiful I think you are beautiful not in spite of your queerness but because of it I think that your queerness enriches your Christianity and doesn't detract from it I think that you are wonderful and I am honored by this instead of it being a problem for her was like a of just a, a truly, I cannot stress this enough, life-changing moment for me. And there's something very beautiful about being in that space where you have the opportunity to be that for someone who couldn't find it somewhere else because they're not exposed to that. You're like a fundamentalist super spy. Super spy. <laughs> Some of us are on TikTok too much. Oh, yeah. Don't even start. <laughs> <laughs> you and me, I see that. <laughs> I get all of my TikToks catered from me. Me? I think most of them are from you. And then from uh, another friend. I just send you TikToks about so. cats you send me a the bunch musical. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on brand. That's on brand. What else do you want? I feel like, again, you both are kind of ahead of my questions. Um, but I was going to ask to kind of like maybe give a little bit of a wrap up, but like, what do you see in Christian spaces that gives you hope moving forward? But I don't know if maybe you can elaborate on some, like this has kind of been said throughout, but maybe it's kind of like a final thread. Yeah. um, Definitely. First thing that comes to mind, first up, best out, right. Um, Is that I see more and more queer Christians, you know, to me, just being able to be like, wow, people like me, uh, people who have been in similar situations that I am and that can empathize very well 
with my own experiences, there are people like me that are coming out and I'm seeing like just being able to have a closely knit friend group who's all yeah, we're all queer. Yeah, we're all queer. And being able to have like non-queer people who are like super affirming to be able to have in my life. I think it's one of like the biggest things that gives me hope is that, you know what? I might not feel the love of God from every Christian that I come in contact with, but the select few that it's like that God has put into my life that are willing to be able to love on me as much as I love on them is just so amazing. And it makes me feel like, you know what, <laughs> like, like y'all pointed earlier that, like, you know, when Gen X gets like older and like, it's our age, I'm like, holy shit, I don't know what's going to happen y'all, but I'm pretty fucking excited to see what, what happens and to eventually just see, you know, queer ministry leaders be something normal in the church to be able to see women in leadership and just to break down all of these harmful things that have been so pervasive in the church for so long. And I think that we're on a pretty, pretty good path as sucky as it is right now. I kind of feel like there might be a little light at the end of that tunnel. I would say I find queer Christians so, so inspiring and so beautiful and discovering that there are queer theologians was like <laughs> such a big – I didn't think that was allowed for most of my <laughs> life. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, these people are brilliant and they are beautiful and they are insightful and I love this. Um, yeah, watching queer Christians create amazing things that – you do and you feel like this is beautiful and amazing because of their queerness and not in spite of it it's not like oh they still manage to be okay at christianness it's like oh this is enriched Mm -hmm. by being a part of this community that has been othered by the church and is reintegrating these things um like that's exquisite uh i think the kids give me hope yeah no they're so they're so beautiful and chaotic and unapologetic and it's gonna be (laughs) over for y'all when they grow up like suck it boomers here comes all the gay kids (laughs) the gayest generation (laughs) (laughs) i just want to say thank you to both of you for coming on because this was probably our best episode um and most important episode um uh we both appreciate your your vulnerability and and your honesty because some of those were hard questions (laughs) um and anna i'm gonna put you on the spot you can say no but would you be interested in reading a poem oh that you've written like one of my poems yeah (laughs) i don't we we like poetry we like poetry okay What if you hate my poetry? I don't think that's possible. I have um, probably never read my poetry aloud. And this might be weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but this is a, a piece that I wrote um, for the Awaken Lent devotional in 2019. That is uh, based, I believe, on Jonah 4. I entitled it... A lesbian meditates on the Eucharist with the help of the prophet Jonah. 
I am the body of Christ. Every Sunday, I enter the church whole and trembling. I am led to the front where, with reverence and rejoicing, you break me open. I am ripped to pieces to fill the bellies of the congregation. Why are you so far from saving me? I am Nineveh. You did not mean to give God to me. You thought I would hurt you, corrupt you, refuse to become you. Wholly against your will, God gave me his grace. And with a tinkling of laughter from on high, he gave it, church, through you. I am divisive, the problem, the debate, what God-fearing churches leave at the door when they step into worship. So the pieces of me that ring pure of Christian raises her voice to the rafters, while the pieces of me that reek of lesbian stand wailing at the door, knocking. So the great tearing begins again. I am Jonah. I call down fire from heaven. Any soft green graces from God are absent from my sight, for I see red. I begged you for love, and it was met with closed doors. The grace of God belongs to me. I tremble in fear at the thought that it could belong to those that tore me to shreds. I grip my little fist as tight as it can manage, and I yank. So the great tearing begins again. When I say, sisters, brothers, that I enter this building to be broken open, can you taste that cup with me? When I take that broken body into my broken body, I hear a man who foretells the betrayal by his beloved, but in the next breath begs, not yet, don't leave me alone yet. As I enter the garden, weeping, broken open, trembling, I beg of you, beloved, don't leave me alone. Sad gay poetry for you. <laughs> oh, that's that's some good shit. That's the good that shit awesome. right there. In what universe did you think we wouldn't like that? Yeah. That was yeah. freaking That was brilliant. amazing. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking forever about like, I am Nineveh and just everything that means. Thank you. That was that. really good. Thank you for yeah. that. You. You're very welcome. I think, think that's going to wrap things up. Yeah, that... <laughs> we did it. Cool. Thank you guys again so yeah, much. Thank you. Yeah. This cool. was such a joy. It truly made me so nervous. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm. Uh... No, it's okay. Don't be sorry. It was fun. But also, I'm like, my whole body is red. And it's so <laughs> Uh, you, you did great. You did great. Mm. I think this will be like the second last episode of the season. This is our penultimate episode. Yeah. Ooh. Um, going out on a high note. Yeah, um, there'll be one more. Yeah, and we'll then... do. We want to do a wrap up. We had talked absentmindedly about doing like a couple D and D episodes, and then I realized oh. my schedule. Did not have yeah. the time that I thought. Oh, it oh would. God! Get me Glendon, in on your D and D actual play make podcast. Make the fucking please. time, Glendon. Come on, make the time. Legal. Okay, it's Pride Month. It's homophobic for you not to do a D and D podcast. There it is. Come on, come on, like, Glendon. 
Come on, you got. I mean, really, it's a it's Matt's problem. I could make the town. <laughs> Fine, we'll get Matt to to do it then. Yeah, we'll force him. We'll force him. Have me back. Uh, have me back to play D anD D with you. That'll yes, a- please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me, me as well. I've been a little deprived lately, even though I've been playing like once a week for the past month. But I still God. need more. <laughs> Not enough. I'm an addict. <laughs> when 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 the summer's over, y'all need to like get me into some of your sessions or something. I don't know. I can get you to guest star in one of my campaigns nice. that I'm DMing. Nice. I just miss D and D. I don't know. I mean, we've said thank you a million times, but we thank have, you again. But thank you again. Um, to all our loyal listeners, if you're still listening, I don't know anymore. Our numbers kind of stagnated. Um, but if you're still here, um, thank you for still being here. Um, Solon Toronto, Solon, good night, Calgary. I don't remember what it is anymore. Good night, Seattle. All right, that's it. Cut. Be gay, do crimes. Be gay, do crimes. Cut.